It's always interesting to get to know people and then you organize an interview with them and they don't pick up. And then you find out later that people, those people, had been in an accident. Um, can I just say, Jason, this is Jason George who I'm speaking to. Hi, Jason. How are you? Hi there. I'm very well. Thanks. And yourself, Janine? I'm doing fine and fabulous. We laugh in Gauteng when we hear about accidents in the Cape. Because people drive like a hundred in the Cape. How do you have accidents when you've got time to get there? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) And you've got time. You know, Moz, I don't know if you've heard that classic old joke about the mother city, but it's called the mother city because everything takes nine months. Exactly. (laughs) You said it. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) But it's one of those things of I think it was if someone just dead breaks too fast and you're not expecting it, then. Then, pam, then your front goes in their rear and then it's just it's just not fun. Yes, but it's I bad, eh? Hey? I mean, that sick feeling on your stomach when you realize this is going to be expensive and it's going to be uncomfortable and time oh and the car goodness. and everything. Did you have Christian thoughts? Did I? I you know, if I'm <laughs> honest, this was the first. <laughs> I, I, I've been in one of the accidents and this is the one where I actually had Christian thoughts. Would you believe? Because so I'm, I'm pretty sure the car's written off, right? Oh, my word. But, so I was there with my girlfriend, and we were on our way to Cape Town to do something or the other. And for the first time in my life, it was almost like the material things suddenly didn't matter as much as the fact that we're both alive. Mm-hmm. We're both untouched. You know, the car's insured, so well, there's almost no point in crying over insured assets because the insurance is just going to pay out anyway. So it was... For once, I was Christian. Even the other driver, she was so pleasant. Really? You know, you don't have a pleasant other person because I think it was neither of our fault. So we, we just didn't have any reason to attack one another. So that, that okay, was, I'm, maybe it's a Cape thing. I mean, Gautengers just aren't like that. We, we, we're not mature about accidents at all. Really? Really? <laughs> no, no, I'm Someone very proud of you. you. I'm, I'm going to speak in capital letters <laughs> from now on because... These people, there's holy, holy people down there in the game. Oh my goodness! Jimmy, but introduce please, yourself, because now I know you're already like a like a, in Afrikaans we say nuchtere denker, you know, someone oh who can think goodness. through things beforehand. Tell me about yourself. <laughs> you had to introduce yourself to someone who's got no cooking clue who you are as a person, okay. our personality. That who are you? Okay, great. I'd, I'd love. Okay, let me start. My name's Jason. Jason George, I'm a worship pastor. At the moment, I live in Stellenbosch. Um, I'm connected to a ministry called Schofer's Well, a church called Schofer Stellenbosch and a ministry there called Schofer Band, where I am a songwriter, worship leader, music director, I guess, fulfilling a pastoral function. About me, I, I'm, I guess I'm an introvert. I'm reasonably shy until I'm comfortable. But the most important thing about me is I am passionately and exuberantly in love with Jesus. And I also, when I grew, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian <laughs> until I realized that I am horrendously not funny. Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or at least not funny enough to stand on a stage and crack jokes. I give it. Why did you want to be it yeah. in the first time? Did you listen to some people and you thought that looks cool? I'm going to be popular if I'm a stand-up comedian. <laughs> so I think for me, it's just with stand with stand-up comedy. It's, it's a lot of storytelling and. Even, well, I then found songwriting when I was growing up, and it's a similar thing. I just love storytelling. I I grew up in a Nigerian house with pastors for parents, and they never told me bedtime stories. So I always say that I'm overcompensating as an adult in how I love (laughs) stories and the progress of events. 
and maybe it was just that that I just fell in love with. But but you you possibly have to be an extrovert to be one. So I I let that dream die. <laughs> <laughs> a cold hard death shame. But oh music is gorgeous in itself. I mean, what a privilege to to use melody to have the capacity to play with something as absolutely mind blowing as music. Mm. Yeah, it's a real it's a real gift and it's a privilege. Oh, I'm so grateful. It's so humbling. Yeah, but where so does it grateful. come from? Is this like from the family? Was was your you know, your predecessors in the family, the the, mm. the omas and the opas and everyone? Where'd the music come from? I see. I see. So I mentioned earlier that my um my parents were pastors, but my mom actually she she's been a worship leader for maybe 35, 40 years, something in that region. And when she was much younger, when I was still a child, she was working on an album to do some stuff in Nigeria. My grandmothers, they used to sing in their church choir, their little Presbyterian church. My dad was a worship leader. I think my dad's older brother sang in the choir before he eventually became a priest in the Catholic church or something. So music has been a big part of my family. Um, In fact, we used to... Growing up, we had family devotions almost every morning, and we'd sing together every single morning. Oh, wow. It's, it's, it's almost it's core to how I learned to navigate the world, how I learned to navigate my relationships with my family, and I think I, I just caught the bug. So when I was eight, I asked my parents for a guitar, and God bless my parents because they gave me one. And it's, it's been that... It's been how long? About 18 years since. And I just haven't put it down. Learned other instruments as well. Yeah. So it was basically in my blood, but then I discovered it as this massive tool of emotional expression and connecting and communicating something deeper than words could ever try to do to other people. And it's been the most humbling privilege to have these abilities and these gifts, I believe. No, it's, I love it every day about it. No two days are the same. Now, I'm just thinking, lots of people become singers. They take other people's music mm. and they love singing it and they com- can communicate great by using mm. other people's music. Uh, when did the, the shift come to, I've got something to say and I actually know I can say it well with a song? I think the shift, it, it actually started the day I got my first guitar. So I bought the guitar on my birthday. The next day I started writing songs and that sounds impressive until I, 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 I must give the disclaimer that those songs were really nothing to write home about. They were horrible. They were horrendous. I can't even remember them. My brain has blocked out all of that trauma. You know? <laughs> but, but I think it's probably just um, have a young kid that just had something to say, or at least he thought he had something to say and just found like, oh my goodness, I want, I want to communicate. I really just want to get information from my head to other people's head and whatever way I can do that is fine. Um, so, and then it eventually, of course, got channeled into music. And it must I, have I, helped I, that your parents were like pastors because it does give you hmm. a platform to try out your songs on a congregation. Yeah. 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 As, as daunting as that might seem, it was, it was so grateful. Yeah. yeah. So what now you come, you come with your, that, that first song. Can you remember that first song? The first song you bring to your dad or to your mom and you say, can we try this in church? Which then is this risk now? You're putting your own stuff mm. out there. Um, first, yeah. they have to say yes. Then the congregation has to either like it or not. Can you remember that first experience of presenting something you've written for, for this congregation to sing? 
to a congregation. I, I can remember the very first time I presented something I wrote to my parents, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a bit of a funny story. My dad's gentle, loving man that he is, he just started saying something along the lines of, you know, son, it's, it's selfish to want all the gifts. You have enough. <laughs> you know? I.e., you really have no capacity to do this. Stop trying. But I, I was always a bit of a stubborn child and got better and grew and um, got a better economy around the craft. And the first time I presented in front of a congregation, any song to like for, for the people to worship with, I remember it was just too many words. <laughs> Too many words. The melodies were just not great. It was, it was character building, to say the least. But then the next one that I presented, it was almost like open heavens. Um, and maybe I got addicted to the open heavens feeling because then it was, it was just uphill from there. Yeah. So that was, it was invaluable. Crashing and burning in, in public is one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> you learn more. <laughs> you learn more. Yeah. Ah, that's once again very mature. But any case, it's 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 a lovely thing. This this feeling out because you do it with God, isn't it? I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. it's yeah. to to take that craft of yours and to measure what connects with the people in front of you. Because you can have really good songs and sing it as an artist, and then then you can go as as um you know, as difficult as you want to. But when it's worship, mm -hmm. you're trying to give something to these people in front of you that makes it possible yeah. for them to connect with Jesus and or yeah. or to convey a message. So that whole process of yeah. sassing out what works and what doesn't, it must be a very meaningful yeah. process as well. Mm, very, very, very meaningful, very social, um, especially in the environments that we sort of, ministered in my parents did ministry in, and i do ministry now there's a lot of cultures so growing up i was in church with afrikaans people with colored south africans with foreign nationals and black south africans you know there's and each come with their own cultural language mm. um i think the 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 thing that helped was that at my formative years we were we were sort of like learning okay what's the heart song of the zulu nation what is the heart song of the Afrikaans nation? And almost by like practicing empathy, you have to like put yourself into the mind. If I was Afrikaans, you know, what would I want to hear? How would I relate to God? How would I imagine the Father? What would be my needs? What would Jesus be saying to me? And as I mean, Jesus did the same thing when he came onto the earth, he got into our skin. The scriptures say that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses because in every way he was tempted. He got into the mindset of the normal human being. What do we struggle with? What are our distractions? What are the risks? And from that place he ministered, from that place he served. So I, I was very privileged that my mentors and my parents gave me that framework of like enter into people's lives, enter into their world and react to their world as if you were one of them. And that's probably the quickest way that you're going to connect to the heart of other people. And you're not okay. talking about style here. Are you talking about a way of communicating as well? Try and, try and explain to me the differences. So with style, uh, I, I, we can, we, let's speak very, very practically. You know, we've all been to African churches and we know African churches are loud, you know, aggressive the bass is through the roof it's highly layered 
oh my goodness, multi-layered. There's about 278 background singers, yeah. you know, some like 12 aunties with tambourines. And then you enter a prim and proper conservative, you know, church, white church. And everything is reverent, <laughs> you know, a lot softer. I remember my first time I was in the church that I'm in now. I, I almost couldn't hear anything, <laughs> you know, because it was so soft. It was so, I, I was like, I cannot connect with this because it's not the mute, the, the kick drum. The drums are not beating at my chest. <laughs> so learning the styles, learning what the style, because style in any, any form of communication wraps a certain kind of emotion, you know. Silence and quietness is more contemplative. You, you're more open to think about stuff um and in a intellectual society people want to think about stuff more connect with the lord more have space and quiet and solitude in festive environments people are more vibey the music must participate with the joy that's happening in the room and like even a lot of those things we like to make them cultural but they're also just psychological and getting to the brass tacks of what is this culture about how does this culture celebrate so style helps. Style is, I remember when I was, I think I was very young, I was 11 or so, and I met a new musician from Nigeria, and I played in the worship team with him, and his feedback that he gave me was that the best gift you can give yourself as a musician is to be as diverse as you can, yeah. and that changed my life. If you can speak people's heart language and music across many different environments, then that's going to sort of, it's going to take you far it's going to serve you well i've seen that to be true so more being more a student of people and not a student of people as in people are experiments and we must watch them with binoculars and figure out what they are but actually get into their world and hear their music appreciate you know retief burger who's one of the most influential worship musicians for me for instance because of some of the songs that he's written in his heart for worship i've come to appreciate that by becoming a student of the culture of the people that he ministers to. And same thing with Nathaniel Bassio, one of the biggest gospel artists from back home. I can appreciate the same thing because they're speaking of Jesus. They're connecting with Jesus. They're leading millions of people to connect with Jesus the same way, you know, in conceptually that I would, but it plays itself out differently. Mm. And I can like if you can connect with people in a way that they can resonate with, you have an open door to share what Jesus is doing in your heart with them. So it's just the, the, the fundamental step of, I guess, ministry for me. That, that's how I came to see it. I don't know if that makes sense. No, absolutely. No, you're walking on holy ground, yeah. Because if you don't get it right, no, it's, it's different when it's someone preaching. Because somehow it doesn't matter mm. what the culture is, besides the fact that maybe screaming just, uh, you know, gets people to not listen. But, but yeah. music, it can now either open a door or literally close a door. Because mm. if, you, if, if the people in front of you do not connect with the style or, or the way that you present the music, their hearts close. It doesn't matter mm. what you had to say and, and how spirit-led it was what you had to say. It's as if music yeah. does have the potential to, to offend or not. And, and especially mm. in Christianity, people actually attribute 
a style to more spiritual or less spiritual. Yeah. It's it's weird how the perceptions go yeah. with the style of it as well. So you really yeah. do have a responsibility. And as much as the music is an open door, even further than a sermon is because you can repeat stuff, mm. you know, and, and it's got this yeah. emotional element to it as well. You literally have to be God-led or you can really throw it away. Yeah. And I mean, ministry... I'm sure you've heard about this, but in the Methodist revival, Methodist movement with John Wesley, he had a young, I can't remember if it's a younger or an older brother, but a brother, no less, Charles. So um, John would preach all of his sermons. Charles would convert all of his sermons into songs. So Charles ended up writing something ridiculous, like 6,000 hymns, and they were all just transcriptions of the sermon. And I think when I was younger and in university and trying to wrap my head around okay, now I've come to Jesus for myself. Jesus is starting to speak to me about being a pastor and doing ministry in that way and reaching the lost. But there's this thing called songwriting, and I can use it for a bit more than just, you know, singing about breakups or singing about love or something like that. I realized that music, it has this unique ability as powerful as sermons are and as much as it's important to preach the word, but, you know, we all know that we all remember the songs that were sung in church a lot better than we remember the sermon. (laughs) And not just do we remember the songs a lot better than we remember the sermon. Sometimes those songs form the way we think about God a lot more than the sermons do. I mean, I, I just, I joke and say that before 2016, when we thought about God, the father, he was a good father. And after 2016, (laughs) he became became a a good, good good father. father. So people start praying and we're like, God, we thank you that you're such a good, good father. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and and there's nothing wrong with it because it's it's doctrine, it's good teaching. God is a father and he is good, therefore he is a good father. But that more than almost any sermon I've ever heard in my life now sits in the collective psyche of the world as a truth about God. And music has that power because of you know how music can speak to the soul. I think that God uses that. God is aware of that. And he gave it to ultimately the church to use for teaching, for equipping, for discipleship, for putting the word of God on the lips of God's people um, more than, you know, just for our enjoyment. It's also our enjoyment. God gives us things to enjoy, but to know more, to connect with the heart of God, to know, like, to worship him truly, to be formed into the image of Jesus and then share the message of Jesus to the people that Jesus is yet to meet, you know, like, so I, my head just explodes every single time with all of the possibilities when we find ourselves available to those things of God. Mm. Now I realize when you get out of the car and the last song you mm. listen to, Hours later, the chorus of that song still in your head. You wish you could stop singing it, mm. but it's still in your head. That's when you mm. realize the power of a song. And if you can get it right, if what is stuck in their head can be word and truth, yes, you can have a huge effect on people. Listen, we have to get mm. to your song because obviously yes, this Welcome yeah. Home is the new single and everything. And um, mm. I love 
the whole dynamic of anything that is is created is created by someone with an intention and then it is heard mm-hmm. by someone with another type of glass on you know with glasses yeah. on it that, and and whatever how they hear it it's not you so i'd love to mm-hmm. give you the opportunity to tell me the heart behind the song welcome home so that when i listen to it i get what you meant oh yes thank you so much i really appreciate that opportunity from the bottom of my heart so i mentioned earlier that i'm connected to a ministry called Shofar Band I'm one of the principal songwriters there. And as part of, I guess, our ministry calendar, we run these um, if weekend-long events called Songwriting Weekends where we gather, we're having one, we, we gather, well, let me not say that. We, ga- we gather songwriters together and we break them up into groups and then we write songs together in one-and-a-half-hour intervals. And this song came out of one of the camps that we had about a year ago. We were sitting there for the first half of the session and, you know, nothing was coming. The tap was closed. We're like, what on earth do we write about? And then suddenly, you know, the Lord starts laying it on the hearts of the group. Like, oh, my goodness. The Father is actually inviting the lost back to come, to come and sit at the table, you know, to come and meet with him, to come. You know, the story of the prodigal son is so almost like a building block of the way I view the Father because, you know, we when we think about going astray and coming back to Jesus, the expectation we have is that Jesus is going to stand at the porch and he's going to have his hands on his hips and say, hmm, I told you so. You went and you just threw your future away and there, you know, now you're back here and now I'm going to give you the bare minimum. But that's not the Father. The Father sees the Son from a distance. The Father, who is probably an old man, picks up all of his long regalia and clothes and runs to the son. He really missions for the son and hugs him, finds some of the best cattle, throws a party because the father's been waiting for him. And as we sort of fleshed out the song, the father is beckoning. He's made us his family. The past is forgotten here. Welcome home. Those are some of the lyrics of the chorus. We started realizing when the song was done that, oh my goodness, this is a prophetic song for this nation. This is a prophetic song for every person in this nation who seems far away from God or seems, even if they're close to God, there's this invitation of God to come closer. Come, like, I'm not afraid or intimidated by anything you've done, literally anything. Come, come to me. Jesus says, all who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And so that's more the heart of the song, the invitational heart of, the, of God, that God has done so much and he's you know, sent his son. Jesus has shed his blood. That's who our God is. And now because he has done all of that stuff, bring yourself here and let's have a party. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I mean, we just need to recover the spiritual discipline of partying. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Hallelujah. Absolutely. Okay. And then before we listen to the song, if people want to follow you guys and um, show band as a ministry, how do they do that? Yes. So show band, we are on all of the major um, social media, except TikTok. So Instagram, you can look for us at at band. Um, S-H-O-F-A-R-B-A-N-D. On Facebook, you can type the same letters in and you'll probably find our Facebook page. And yeah, that's essentially it. If you'd like to connect with me, you can connect with me at at Jason K. George, J-A-S-O-N-K-G-E-O-R-G-E on Instagram and I guess all the other social networking platforms. We 
keep up to date with all of the things we're releasing, all of the new songs, all of our program and ministry calendars are there on our social media. So be sure to keep an eye on that. An artist you can spell. Now let's see if this artist can sing. <laughs> this is the next dire question in our lives. Can Jason George sing as part of Show for Band? The song's called Welcome Home. And uh, let's listen to it. <laughs> 